The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores Scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed. Blasphemy against the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. For The Secret Church 5, study guide, and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC5. And this is Secret Church 5, Episode 9. So be biblical in talking about the experiences or your experiences with the Spirit. Look for the fruit of the Spirit and focus on the filling of the Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how we know the Spirit is working in our lives. He's bearing fruit and He's filling us. I really think that fullness of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is oftentimes what people experience when they have this second experience. It's a, it's a supernatural filling. There's a fullness that comes over someone that may change and empower people for ministry in entirely new ways. So if you've had a second experience, my encouragement to you, based on the Word, based on as best as I can understand the Word, my encouragement to you would be to consider and really look in the Word to see how the Word would describe that experience because baptism in the Spirit is not the best way to describe that. And I would also encourage you to be careful not to look at others in a two-class sense of Christianity and tell people you need to be baptized in the Spirit so that you can be at the same level that I am. I think you... It's good for us to spur one another on toward Christ and encourage each other to seek the Spirit, but not in a false way like that. If you have not had that kind of second experience or third experience or fourth experience, my encouragement would you, to you would be be cautious in your judgment of others. Help others think through these things, but in your own life, seek the Spirit. Seek more and more and more and more of the Spirit, which leads to this next picture of being filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the command here. It's one command. Be filled. It's an imperative. To be filled with the Spirit is not an instruction, is an instruction, not a suggestion. It's not a polite piece of advice. The fullness of the Spirit is not an option to consider. It's a command to obey. Every single one of us as followers of Christ is intended to be filled with the Spirit, commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's a plural you be filled. The picture there is plural, not singular. The Spirit fills the church. Yes, individually the Spirit works in our lives, but He does a corporate work. The Spirit fills the church. It's passive. Now here's, here's where it's really interesting. Be filled. This is something He does. We need the Spirit to do in us. Not us possessing more of the Spirit. Instead, the Spirit possessing more of us. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Yield. We yield to the Spirit's feeling, fulfilling. Yield to Him without reserve. To say to Him, less of me, more of you. This is the whole picture. I mentioned D.L. Moody earlier. D.L. Moody, one of my favorite stories about him. There was a, whole, there was a town wanting to have a preacher come and preach a revival. And they, they were talking about D.L. Moody. Everybody was saying, we need to get D.L. Moody. And... And finally somebody spoke up and said, well, young guy said, well, we don't need to get Dale Moody. Why is everybody saying that? It's not like he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Everybody got quiet. And an older, wiser gentleman in the back corner stood up and said, son, you're right. Dale Moody does not have a monopoly on the Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on Dale Moody. And that's why we need to get him to come. See the picture? Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on your life? 
Not, it's less of me, more of you. Be filled. Passive and present continuing action. This is not just a one-time event. Sometimes in Scripture it is. Not just a one-time event. This is also an ongoing experience. That's why, like Stephen will be described as he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was walking filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is a once-for-all gift. It's when the Spirit comes in our lives at salvation. Filling with the Spirit is a gift given multiple times for multiple purposes. We're constantly, this is what I mean when I say let's be a people desperate for the Spirit. It's not like we're sitting in a wasteland in a desert waiting for something to drink because we don't have any sense of the Spirit. When we say desperate for the Spirit, we want them to have more and more and more in us. Be filled with the Spirit. When you look in Scripture, there's three categories where people are talked about as being filled with the Spirit. In general, followers of Christ in Acts 6 uh, and Acts 6, 3 and 5, both talking about Stephen. Acts 11, talking about Barnabas. Uh, and Acts 13, 52, uh, talking about Paul and Barnabas. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Leaders in the church Luke chapter 1, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. This is talking about leadership in the church. Um, Acts 9, 17, when Ananias went to Saul, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is when Paul is basically about to begin ministry. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in specific opportunities for ministry, sometimes people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, Peter standing in front of the Sanhedrin about to preach the gospel. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Paul, in a time where he's, he's confronting a guy named Elymas, he says, the, the scripture says that Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at him and said these things. When you see scripture talking about filling of the Spirit, it's the Spirit possessing more of us, sometimes for specific purposes and leadership in the church, sometimes for specific instances. Like we talked about, those eight different times where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke. I think there is an instantaneous sudden sovereign operation of the Spirit of God when He fills us and opportunities we have to share the gospel. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody in the place where you work, or the place where you live, and you begin to share the gospel, I think there's a filling of the Spirit that accompanies that. That's what Scripture's teaching here. But not just in sharing the gospel. There's a, there's a sense in which we walk full of the Spirit, the Spirit with a monopoly on our lives. Five results of the filling of the Spirit that are emphasized in Scripture in the New Testament. Number one is renewed worship. This is Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Renewed worship. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Spirit fills us for the purpose of worship. For renewed fellowship. Speak to one another. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Renewed submission. This is what happens right after this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into talking about marriage and parenting. This is huge. Marriage is dependent on the Spirit's filling. Men, you need the Spirit to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Women, you need the Spirit. Wives, to submit to your husbands is in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Parenting is dependent on the Spirit's filling. How many parents in this room can think of moments when their kids are thinking, okay, I need, I need the Spirit to have a monopoly on me right now before I do something I don't need to do. So this is the picture. We need the Spirit to fill us and then renewed power for proclamation of the gospel. Renewed power for proclamation of the gospel. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Sometimes 
one-time events. The Spirit fills us for something specific. There's also a sense in which this is supposed to be continuing action where we're continually asking God, fill me. I want you to possess more of me, more of me and less, uh, more, more of you and less of me. Filling of the Spirit. Leads to gifting, gifted by the Spirit. By His grace, the Holy Spirit equips every Christian to edify the church for the glory of Christ. By His grace, a definition. The word for spiritual gifts is charismata. Literally means, charis means grace, grace gifts. And this is why part of me really doesn't like the term charismatic to refer to a, a certain group of Christians. Because we all have grace gifts. And so we are charismatic. We have grace gifts in our lives. In fact, the word charisma is, still the, is also the word in Romans 6.23. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The charisma of God is eternal life. So every Christian should be charismatic. So we need to be charismatic. We need to be like really charismatic. Brook Hills, extremely charismatic church. More grace. Grace gifts everywhere. Uh, so let's be charismatic. More charismatic, the better. Uh, a definition. A distinction. Here's the distinction when it comes to spiritual gifts. Natural talents are evidence of common grace. Natural talents are evidence of common grace. And spiritual gifts are evidence of saving grace. Here's what I mean by that. Everybody, regardless of whether or not they're a believer in Christ or not, has natural talents that are evidence of God's grace in their lives. Good athletes, good singers, good people who have skills in the arts or this or that. We, we have natural talents, even before we come to Christ, that are evidence of God's common grace in our lives. But what we're talking about when it comes to spiritual gifts is not just a natural talent. It's something that is given to us because the Spirit is in us at salvation. And saving grace leads us to have spiritual gifts. Now, I think there's room for there to be overlap between those. I think somebody who has a, nat has a natural talent by common, the common grace of God to teach before they come to faith in Christ. And then once they come to faith in Christ, and they have, sometimes may have the spiritual gift of teaching. And that whole, there's overlap there. I don't want to try to draw an unnecessary distinction between the two. But there is a major difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift. Because what happens is when we come to faith in Christ, there's a spiritual endowment that is given to us when it comes to spiritual gifts here. By His grace. What we're doing is we're unpacking that definition. By His grace, the Holy Spirit equips every Christian to edify the church for the glory of Christ. By His grace, the Holy Spirit equips every Christian. Every Christian is gifted. Every Christian is gifted. To each one, manifestation of the Spirit is given. Nobody's got all the gifts, but everybody's got at least one of the gifts. So every Christian in this room is gifted. The Spirit of God has given you gifts. And every gift is important. 1 Corinthians 12, 15-20 talks about how... Every gift is important. You don't say to one part of the body, well, you're not important, or to another party, part of the body, you're not important. We've got to be careful here. We must guard against self-deprecation. And by that I mean the terminology or the mentality that says, I'm no good, you don't need me. I think this is very prevalent in the church. I'm guessing that there are countless people, even in this room, who when they think about the local church they're a part of, whether it's here at Brook Hills or somewhere else, think, I, I don't know if that church really needs me. The reality is if you're in church and you're a follower of Christ and you have been given gifts for the sake of that church, so we need to avoid, guard against self-deprecation. But we also must guard against self-exaltation to think, well, I got a lot of gifts, so the church really needs me. Self-deprecation says, I'm no good, you don't need me. Self-exaltation says, you're no good, I don't need you. 
God says you need each other. I think this is one of the most exciting things. Even just in the context of this faith family at Brook Hills, if there's 4,000 people at Brook Hills, the thought of 4,000 grace gifts entrusted to a body, what a picture there. There's 10 people in church, 10 grace gifts or more. Some, I mean, we know many people don't have just one spiritual gift. What a picture there. So we guard against those things and we say we need each other. The New Testament list of spiritual gifts, what I've listed is four of the lists right there. We're not going to read through them. When you add them up, you've got about 22 different gifts that are listed in Scripture. And in addition to Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, which are two somewhat lists that are not included here. Here's the deal. These lists, these, these gifts, they often overlap. They often overlap. Some of these lists have gifts that are contained in other lists. You've got also gifts like administration and leadership that are mentioned that probably have some overlapping there. They include some characteristics and expectations of all Christ followers. For example, uh, Teaching is a spiritual gift. But in some sense, all of us are commanded to make disciples of all nations, going and baptizing and teaching people to follow Christ. So all of us are commanded to teach in some way. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of us are gifted to teach to a group of people in a certain way. But all of us, even if it's teaching your children to follow Christ, every parent of God is called to do that, commanded to do that. So teaching, the gift of serving. Can't sit back and say, well, I don't have the gift of serving, so I don't have to serve. Works out good. Good for you if that were the case. No, 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 no. Some people, all of us commanded to serve as members of the body of Christ, but then some people have a supernatural endowment, a spiritual gift of serving. This is one of the things that irks me a little bit about that. When people talk about the gift of evangelism, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. So I can't lead people to Christ. That's totally wrong. You have the Spirit of God, so you can lead people to Christ. Period. Spirit of God, you are enabled to, free to lead people to Christ, empowered to lead people to Christ. So there's certainly different measures here that are represented in giving, but some of these gifts that are mentioned are really for all followers of Christ. As a result, when you look at those lists, my encouragement would to see them would be to see them as more illustrative than exhaustive. Here's what I mean by that. I think there's a great diversity of spiritual gifts that the New Testament is giving us here that demonstrate the rich and beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. And there's not a set number of lists. The Spirit does not have a vault of 20 gifts that he's saying, here's the ones I pull from. I think these lists are illustrative of a whole myriad of gifts that the Spirit of God gives. And I think spiritual gift tests, surveys, they're helpful. They help us think through some of these things. But I don't think we need to even limit ourselves to some of these things that are mentioned here or certain categories that are mentioned in. Because the Spirit of God gives each of us gifts out of a rich and bountiful diversity in the body of Christ. All these gifts are given to edify the church. Spiritual gifts are given for service, for the common good. There's an other-centered nature to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts depend on God's sovereignty. He gives them according to his will and his wisdom. Spiritual gifts may vary in strength. If we neglect our gift, spiritual gifts are like muscles. If we, if we use our muscles, then they will grow, they will strengthen. If we don't use our muscles, they will grow weak. Spiritual gifts may vary in strength. That's what he's talking about in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 1. Spiritual gifts may vary in significance. In other words, you look at 1 Corinthians 14, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. 
In other words, it's better to prophesy because that edifies the church more so than tongues. So there's a significance that is placed on prophecy here above speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. Spiritual gifts can and should be sought. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Desire that which most edifies the church. Scripture's teaching us here in a sense to ask God for gifts, to check motives, not to say, well, I want this gift for, for this person. I, I want to strengthen the church. God, give me gifts to strengthen the church. That's, that's a biblical thing to do. Scripture, spiritual gifts require self-examination. Here's my encouragement to you on a very practical level. Ask God to show you your gifts. Really ask God to give you wisdom. Think about your interests, your desires, your abilities that God has given you. And then discover your gifts as you serve. Gifts are given for service. And so the more we serve, listen, in my own life, the more I've served in different circumstances, different scenarios, the more I've seen. This is areas where I sense the Spirit has gifted me in. These are areas where the Spirit has evidently not gifted me. You would conclude from our Fruit of the Spirit song that the Spirit's gifting in me does not necessarily lead toward worship leadership. That's probably not one of my giftings. That that's not a picture for me. You find that out when you stand in front of 2,000 people and you try to sing a song. So, spiritual gifts require self-examination. All for the glory of Christ. Spiritual gifts exalt the head of the church. They exalt the head of the church because the more gifts are used, the more we're exalting the head who's Christ, Ephesians 4. And spiritual gifts anticipate the coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. Therefore, you do not like any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 1 Corinthians 13 we're going to talk about in just a minute. Here's the question. Here's where it gets interesting. Are miraculous gifts mentioned in the New Testament valid for use in the church today? Are miraculous gifts mentioned in the New Testament valid, valid for use in the church today? And here's what I mean by miraculous gifts. Remar some people call them miraculous gifts. Some people call them remarkable gifts, special gifts, sign gifts, or charismatic gifts, which I definitely don't like that last term because they're all grace gifts. But this would include signs and wonders, casting out demons, prophecy, tongues, and healing, which we're going to address. And there's basically two views here. Now follow with me here. The first view is cessationism. And this is the view that miraculous gifts... Prophecy, tongues, healings, signs and wonders ceased with the apostles and therefore are no longer applicable in the church today. Here's a quote from John MacArthur. The four temporary sign gifts included miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretations of tongues. These four sign gifts had a unique purpose, to give the apostles credentials, to let the people know that these men all spoke the truth of God. But once the word of God was inscripturated, the sign gifts were no longer needed and they ceased. That makes sense? That's cessationism. There came, and it's really pointed to when Scripture was closed, Scripture was finished, these sign gifts were not necessary. When the apostles were gone, these sign gifts were not necessary, and they ceased. Continuationism says miraculous gifts are available to all Christ followers and therefore are active in the church today. This is more Pentecostal picture, uh, charismatic, third wave kind of picture, and especially in Pentecostalism where tongues is a necessary sign that you have experienced baptism in the Spirit. So let's think about both these views. Cessationism. Cessationists would say, I try to sum it up in, in basically two thoughts. Cessationists would say, Jesus and the apostles had a unique ministry that involved miraculous gifts. You look at Jesus, accredited by God, Acts 2, by miracles, wonders, and signs. 
Everyone was filled with awe, Acts 2.43. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Miraculous signs and wonders had been done among the Gentiles through Paul and Barnabas. So... That's unique to the apostles. Second facet of that is miraculous gifts were given by God to authenticate apostleship. This is why we see signs and wonders, miraculous gifts when it comes to the apostles, because God is authenticating. In other words, validating what they're saying. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. Look at the end of Hebrews 2. 3 and 4. Listen, listen to this. God has also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now here's the picture. Cessationists would say the apostles practiced these things and, and were accompanied by signs and wonders, these miraculous gifts, for a reason. It was validating their apostleship. But once, once they went off the scene and they weren't necessary anymore and therefore they ceased. Continuationists would say, Jesus sends us out to carry on the ministry he began, and that includes miraculous gifts. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He even told them in Luke 9 and 10, go and heal the sick. Do healing. In John 14, 12, he says, you'll do even greater things than I have done. So continuationists would also say miraculous gifts are evident among Christ followers who are not apostles in the New Testament. Stephen did great wonders and miraculous signs. The crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did. Paul speaking to the Galatians in Galatians 3. Does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you? 1 Corinthians 12, same kind of thing, gifts of healing. And he's speaking to the church at Corinth. So, which is it? Did they cease or not? Here's the conclusions that I would draw from what Scripture teaches. Number one, we must honor the unique authority of Christ, the New Testament apostles, and the Old Testament prophets. What I mean by that is there is something unique that is going on in the apostles, for example. Now, the apostles were, remember, apostles were the uh, apostles in the New Testament. Sometimes you see it used generally to refer to those who were sent out in that sense. In some sense, every Christian is an apostle sent out. But most often the New Testament refers to the apostles as this group of men who were with Jesus, eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and his resurrection, uh, his disciples, minus Judas, of course, Adam Matthias, and then you've got Paul. These apostles, there is something unique that is going on there, no question. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are the ones who are giving us the word that we have in our Bibles. At the same time, we must honor the unfathomable ministry of, unfathomable ministry of the Spirit in the church today. And here's what I mean by that. I believe we need to be wary of limiting activity of the Spirit in areas where Scripture does not limit activity of the Spirit. We need to be wary, be cautious in limiting activity of the Spirit in areas where Scripture does not limit activity of the Spirit. As I've traveled around the world, I've seen and heard testimonies of the Spirit's work in ways that I've never seen or experienced here. Now, if Scripture speaks directly to some of those things, then we follow Scripture clearly. But if Scripture does not speak directly to some of those things, I think we need to be careful to honor the ministry of the Spirit in the church today. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.